The following audio is from Maranatha Chapel, located in San Diego, California. For more information about Maranatha Chapel, please visit www.maranathachapel.org. If you have your Bibles, let's open them to the book of Acts chapter 2, and we're going to go through. We, we started, you know, I guess this was about a month ago, the first few verses of Acts chapter 2, and I kind of want to go through the story and let Peter preach his message. What an appropriate message for such a time as this. And let's bow our heads and ask the Lord to speak to us. Gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you and pray and ask of the Holy Spirit who is here, hallelujah, thank you, Jesus, that one of the proofs, the greatest proofs that you are alive and that you are risen from the dead and that you are seated at the right hand of our Father in heaven is that you sent your Holy Spirit from heaven to the earth to not only just come upon some priests and kings and prophets, but Lord, to come upon the body of Christ on the earth. In the beginning, to over 120 who were gathered together at your house, and you came with a mighty, powerful, rushing, mighty wind. You touched them with tongues of fire. And Lord, they began to give you praise and glory and all of the languages as we read. And the church was born. Peter preached. 3,000 souls were saved in the city of Jerusalem, right there at the temple. And the church was born. And now today, some 2.7 billion followers of Jesus Christ. And Lord, we see all the signs of your coming kingdom. We pray thy kingdom come. Can I hear an amen on that? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' mighty, wonderful name we pray and ask all of these things. Amen. Amen. Well, I'm going to go ahead and read the first uh, four verses that I guess we did a month ago, but this is what we will get into the rest of the story. It says in verse 1, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. I want to just say real quick two things. One about Pentecost. Pentecost was kind of after the winter, and now the spring harvest is coming in. It's usually in June, and they would tie the wheat together and bind them together, and they would wave these sheaves before the Lord and offer the first fruits unto the Lord. And I believe that God is saying to the church now, we need to give him the first fruits of everything in our lives. This is, this is a time to give God his place, to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and let everything else be added. But keep the Lord first, honor the Lord first, and everything else will come to you. Amen? Amen. So when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were with one accord in one place. Unity is so important. And these days are days of division, and I, you know, this virus and all of the social uprising and things that are happening, wow, we have never been so divided. But I'm more concerned with the division within the family of God. And some of you feel the stress with one leaning way, maybe another leaning another way, and this is a time where we have to let, let our faith shine, where we love one another, we listen to one another, we respect one another, and let the love of God be the unity within our hearts and within the church. Amen? Amen. 
But then as they were gathered together, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So let's continue on now where we left off. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them, which was the 120, speaking in his own language. And then they were all amazed, and they marveled, and they said to one another, Look, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? Now, there were Parthians and Medes. That's the area of modern-day Iraq. Elamites, these are Jewish people who came from modern-day Iran, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and parts of Libya, so northern Africa, joining Cyrene, visitors from Rome, so from Europe, both Jews and proselytes. A proselyte is somebody who was a Gentile that became Jewish and went through all the ceremony to say, I'm now of the family of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Cretans and Arabs. We hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. So it's 120 people at the same time. It wasn't like one person is speaking and waiting and then another one would come up to a podium. There's like 120 people. They're all excited. They're all ecstatic. They're all cloven tongues of fire is up on their head. This rushing mighty wind that came. By the way, that rushing mighty wind, I, I pray that a rushing mighty wind would come now from the Pacific Ocean. Maybe an air-conditioned version of that. But, but what they, the, the whole city of Jerusalem heard the sound. It wasn't actually wind. It wasn't a tornado. But they all physically heard the sound, and what all of the Jewish people in the area heard was the moving of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God is like breath. In fact, the Hebrew word for spirit, ruach, means breath. Same in, in Greek. Uh, so the breath of God, God breathes life. He breathed life into Adam, and so God was breathing, blowing upon those 120 and with God is creative power, and there's fire, and there's light, and they're all, and they, they're so filled with the Spirit, they just begin praising God in, you know, dozens of different languages. Like if everybody here just started speaking, and you've got your own message, you want to, Lord, thank you for this, Lord, praise you for that, God, you're great, Adonai, Yahweh, hallelujah, we worship you, we praise you, Yeshua, and they're just going on and on and on, and, and it, it created such a, what, what drew the people was the sound of the rushing mighty wind. What was that sound? Like a jet just landed in the Temple Mount. So they all ran to see what it was, and when they got there, there are 120 people that are basically praising God in all these languages. And they discern that these are all from Galilee. They have one dialect. How is it that they are, they're on fire, they're excited, they've got smiles on their faces, they're lifting their hands, they are praising the Lord. And they said to one another, what does this mean? What was that sound? Who are these Galileans? 
And they're probably, uh, things are racing through their minds as they put things together. Galilee is where Jesus of Nazareth was from. The last three years on Pentecost, Yeshua of Nazareth had been coming to Jerusalem with his disciples. They'd heard of the stories and the miracles. And some of them had no doubt heard about this last Passover, Jesus of Nazareth, that many in Israel thought was the Messiah, had been crucified. But now here we are, 50 days later, on the day of Pentecost, and they're all praising the Lord. And I'm sure Yeshua, Yeshua of Nazareth is on their lips. They're praising, wait, that guy was crucified. I heard he died. I heard that he was buried. And what are they saying? What does all of this mean? Others mocking said they are full of new wine. (laughs) So when is the last time you were so happy in Jesus you were accused of being drunk? Huh? They were so filled with joy. They said, hey, there's only one source of that kind of joy. That must be they're drunk. But no, it was only nine o'clock in the morning. So supernatural phenomena accompanied the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. So what we have here, we have the sound of a great rushing mighty wind, two, the divided tongues of fire, and three, they were all speaking in other languages. The Greek word is glossolalia. So everybody's glossolalia. Glossolalia. I didn't know you guys spoke Greek. That's very good. So glossolalia is the Greek word for it. It literally means a language that you don't know personally, but that you are speaking. Is this going on and off? I wonder what is happening here. I don't know. Yeah. Lord, help us with technical details in Jesus' name. Amen. So this is the first time that these three things are mentioned together, the rushing mighty wind, the cloven tongues of fire, and then speaking in other tongues. Now, there are several different kinds of tongues. Some are speaking in other language, but there is also other kinds of tongues that can be a personal language, a prayer language, uh, this, the languages of heaven, languages of earth, men and of angels. So this was a very unique kind of preaching where it was in known languages and the people could hear and they could understand. What I want to say this evening is that the first two things that are mentioned among the three uh, never were repeated. There was never an, again a rushing mighty wind. There was never again seen a group of people together where they had cloven tongues of fire on their head. But the gift of tongues is mentioned again and again throughout the New Testament. So it was something that became part of the church. And if you uh, were here, the last time that we gave the message, we were in Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, and we talked about that and the gift of tongues. And at the end of the service, I spoke in tongues, which I, I don't even remember the last time I've ever done that. And then I gave an interpretation. I prayed because I have the gift of tongues, which I want you to know, I have been praying more in tongues recently than I have in decades. I'm praying in the Spirit, and I am praying in English. But when you pray in tongues, you are letting the Holy Spirit pray, and it says that you speak mysteries unto God. Now, I believe that, you know, do all speak with tongues? No. Uh, Do all interpret? No. But he does give those gifts, and it's the beginning of the gifts, but there are many gifts that God gives. 
But I, I just want to say, we, we are living in a time where how many of you would say, I want whatever gift God has for me for such a time as this? Amen? All right, well, let's go on with verse 14. Because now that there's a crowd, the sound, rushing mighty wind, 120 people that everybody, you know, some people think they're drunk, they're so happy, but they're all speaking of the Lord Jesus and praising God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So this set up for Peter's great sermon. And Peter's sermon was simply, this is that. Their question was, what is this? What's going on? What was that sound? And we read, but Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words, for these are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. He's going, come on, it's only nine o'clock in the morning. (laughs) People don't get drunk, usually, I hope you don't, at nine o'clock in the morning. And then he says, but this is what was spoken of by the prophet Joel. I love this. I love that Peter, he, sees, he hears the sound. And I believe that the disciples were anticipating something happening on Pentecost. They didn't know exactly what, but they knew something big is happening because the feasts of the Lord are God's divine appointments. We've been kind of following the seven feasts of the Lord. They're found in Leviticus 23, and they're the same dates every single year. And we've been just kind of worshiping the Lord. All seven of the feasts of the Lord point to and are fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Jesus was crucified on Passover. He was buried on the second feast, which is the second day, unleavened bread. That's where he was buried without sin. The third feast is the third day called First Fruits, and that's the day Jesus rose from the dead. Fifty days later, now is Pentecost, and that's when the law was given, only this time the Spirit is given. Can I hear an amen on that? The original Pentecost, the law of God came down, but then the glory of God broke out, and I don't know if you know this, you go back in the Old Testament, read the story, 3,000 people died the day that the law was given. But on this Pentecost... 3,000 were saved. So that's why the New Testament says the letter of the law, legalism, kills, but the Spirit gives life. How many of you are glad we're not under the law, we're under the Spirit of the Lord God Almighty? Amen? And then after Pentecost, so you have Pentecost, and then you have what's called the summer harvest. So the first four feasts of the Jewish people that particular year, wow! Jesus was crucified on Passover. He was buried on unleavened bread. He rose on first fruits. And the Holy Spirit came like a rushing mighty wind on Pentecost, cloven tongues of fire. We preached. Peter preached the gospel. 3,000 got saved. The church was born. Woo! Boom, 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 boom. One, two, three, four in a row. And I believe that then from Pentecost to the next feast, which is the Feast of Trumpets, is, is called the summer harvest. And there has now been a gap because once Jesus fulfilled the first four, then the church age began where God would be, bring a Jew and a Gentile and make of them one new man within the body of Messiah. So God has been building and harvesting his church for now nearly 2,000 years. But I want to say to you that as the first four feasts point to the first coming of the Messiah, 
The last three feasts, which are every year in the fall, point to the second coming of the Messiah. And the next feast to be fulfilled is called the feast of what? Trumpets. And I want you, if you've got a pen or a pencil, to write this down. Maybe some of you are new and you're kind of, you know, like, what is all this and what's this all about? I want you to write down this date, Saturday, September 19th, is the Feast of Trumpets. By the way, it's, cel- it's celebration of the new moon. And it's celebrated over two days. Because you got to get the new moon. And they were worried, well, you know, when, you know, that little thumbnail, what if there's clouds, you don't see it? So they would do, you know, maybe was it yesterday or was it tonight or did we miss it? So from ancient times to this day, they celebrate the Feast of Trumpets over two days to make sure they got that one day of the initial moon. And therefore, they call it the feast you don't know the day or the hour. Hello? Does that sound familiar? Did Jesus ever say, I'm coming back, but I don't? know the day or the hour. Only my father knows. What he's telling us, I believe, and Jewish believers would have believed then is, he's coming on the Feast of Trumpets. We may not know the year, but that's, so at the very least, now I think the rapture could happen at any time and any day, but I'll tell you what, I get a little extra excited at the Feast of Trumpets. So we're going to be celebrating here. Right now, you know, as we're all having to be outside and everything, and it's going to be a Saturday night, we've usually had a pretty full house in there. We're going to go out to the, that corner parking lot outside, kind of bring your own chairs, and we're going to blow trumpets. We're going to make noise. We're going to sing. We're going to let the city of San Diego know, and we're going to hope that Jesus will, maybe that it could be it. How many of you are okay with, hey, September 19th, we go, bam, we hear a trumpet, we're gone. Okay. But let us get ready for that. So here is uh, Peter's message now. So Peter stands up. He's got a crowd. And Peter, of all people, of all the disciples, Mr. Scaredy Cat himself, he was afraid when he saw what happened to Jesus and what they did to Jesus, that he denied him. Listen, why did Peter, who said, Lord, I will go for you. Lord, I will die for you. He was very open about his love and his passion, his willingness to lay down his life. And Jesus said, Peter... Before the cock crows twice, you're going to deny me three times. And he did. You read the Gospels. He did it once and then twice and three times. What happened to Peter? Terror. Crucifixion. Nails. Cross. Thorns. Beaten to a bloody pulp. Nailed to a tree. Where it is written in the Old Testament, Cursed is he who is hung upon a tree. Because Jesus was taking our curse. Talk about silencing the church, silencing the believers, putting fear upon them. But now you're in, so you're only 50 days removed from Jesus being nailed, whipped, crucified. They said, the religious leaders, we reject Jesus. He's not the Messiah. In fact, we kill him to end his movement. And the disciples have been living behind locked doors in fear. But now Jesus had appeared. Jesus had risen. Jesus had come to them and was with them for 40 days, coming and going, becoming visible, then invisible, invisible, and invisible. And on the 40th day, he said, now I'm going up to the, from the Mount of Olives. I'm going up to my Father, and you've got 10 days. You pray. You be of one mind and one heart, one accord. You wait. 
in Jerusalem, something's coming in Pentecost. So they went there. And then when there was that boom, that sound like a hurricane, you know, Peter, all those 120, and especially the apostles, they knew exactly what that wind was. That's God. That is Yahweh. And they were filled with courage, and they were filled with strength. And then as the 120, they're not afraid. I mean, they had just a few weeks earlier beaten and crucified Jesus, but now boldly they're saying, Jesus, Yeshua, hallelujah, Father. And with great boldness, and Peter sees the crowd, and now he who had been afraid and he who had denied the Lord says, wow, Lord, you you brought me an audience to preach to. You did all the work. And now I just get to preach to them. And he stands to his feet. And I want you to listen to this. On that day, there was a different Peter. I believe it put shockwaves down all the other disciples who knew the story of Peter. And they knew that he had denied the Lord. And they knew Jesus had said afterwards, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Then feed my sheep. Then again later, he says, hey, Peter, do you really love me? Oh, Lord, you know that I love you. Then feed my sheep. And then a third time, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Then feed my sheep. I love that. Do you realize what, beautiful, what a beautiful counselor Jesus is? Peter could have been damaged the rest of his life. I denied the Messiah three times, and now he gave me three times to affirm that I love him, and he forgave me three times. He unclogged his brain. He was healed. And now Peter stands up, And he speaks at the top of his voice with authority, forcefulness, and power. And guess what? There is a spirit of fear that is now across our world that wants Christians to, you know, not just muzzle for a virus, but wants them to muzzle their faith or their love or their trust or their hope or their belief. And look, this is the time where... All that other stuff and the politics and virus aside, this is a time that we let our mouths sing, that we come together, be unified, and give him praise and glory and honor, which he alone is worthy and due. Can I hear an amen on that? Not be ashamed and not be afraid. Okay, look with me in verse 22. Well, no, I have to go back to verse uh, 17. We forgot here. Verse 17, and it shall come to pass. So he quotes Joel. And I love this. Peter knew the word of God. And he was able to quote the word of God. I want any man or woman of God that wants to be used of God, you need to know the word. Read the word daily. Be a man of prayer, a woman of prayer, and be a man of the word and a woman of the word. Peter easily was able to bring up Joel. And here's his quote. Think of this. He had memorized this and was able to preach it on the spot. And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And on my men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they shall prophesy. I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath blood and fire and vapor of smoke, the sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whosoever will call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Amen? Amen. Amen. 
Peter was able to quote Joel. This is that. He didn't make it up. He didn't try to explain it in his own mind or with his own philosophy. He said, this is what God said. This is what God promised. Listen, my brothers and sisters, we are living in the days where we can say what's happening, the headlines that are coming on the news. This is that which God said would happen, even in the times in which we live. We're able to go to the very word of God and say, this is what the prophet Joel was talking about, the last days. The last days really began, so hang on for a minute, the last days began 2,000 years ago. They literally began at Pentecost. Now, what's interesting is, if you read Joel and this prophecy in context, the blood, the moons, and the stars falling from heaven, and the prophecy goes from chapter 2 into chapter 3, it goes all the way to the second coming. It comes to the kingdom of heaven coming to the earth, which is somewhere in the future, past 2020. So the last days have been for 2,000 years. You say, well, wait a second. How can the last days be 2,000 years? Because again, Peter was the one under the inspiration of the Spirit that said, with God, a day is as a thousand years. And a thousand years is like a day. So we go, wow, the Lord's been gone for 2,000 years. But God could flip the coin and say, what are you talking about? I've only been gone the weekend. I'm coming back tomorrow. (laughs) So we have to live with that light and knowledge. But what I also want to say is this. From that day, that was the beginning, when the Messiah was manifest on the earth, that had never been seen, they had never known the, the glory of God manifest in the flesh through Jesus and the incarnation. No, none of the prophets had seen that. They'd seen fire and smoke and cloud and the thunder and lightning and all of that. But now God, he that has seen me has seen the Father, Jesus said. That was the beginning of the last days. And what by Peter quoting Joel, that in the last days, I will pour out my spirit. What Peter was saying is that the church will need the power and presence of the Holy Spirit from the days of the book of Acts all the way through until today. There's never going to be a time where, oh, we don't need the Holy Spirit. Now we have the Bible and we can just talk and, you know, preach to people and argue them into the kingdom of heaven or whatever. No, we need, can I hear an amen? We need the Holy Spirit. Amen. Men. So let's go on. Verse uh, 22. He said, Men of Israel, hear these words. So now he's going to preach. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you. I want to put it in another way in modern English because I'm in New King James. (laughs) Peter said when he got all of their attention, Men of Israel, listen to me. Yeshua of Nazareth. Everybody knew who he was talking about. Just 50 days earlier, who had been crucified. And now Peter is ready to tell them he's alive. He's resurrected. A man, and where it says attested by God to you, literally it means proved by God to be the Messiah. How? By miracles, wonders, and signs which God did through him in your midst. There were many there that had been touched by Jesus, healed by Jesus, delivered by Jesus, made whole by Jesus. Some had been resurrected from the dead by Yeshua of Nazareth. As you yourselves know, him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death, whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, 
because it was not possible that he should be held by it. For David says concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is at my right hand, that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart rejoiced, and my tongue was glad. Moreover, my flesh also will rest in hope, for you will not leave my soul in Hades, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of joy in your presence. Men and brethren, let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David. Everybody loved and honored King David. He was the great hero of ancient Israel that made them a superpower for a brief period of time, 40-year reign, and then with his son Solomon, about 80 years. For 80 years, they were the superpower of that whole region of the world, and they honored and loved David. But now, after writing that, he says, Now, men and brethren, let me freely tell you of the patriarch David that he is both dead and buried. In fact, his tomb was right there in Jerusalem, and the people would come and say, Well, there's the tomb of David where David was buried. So Peter's saying, what was David talking about? He will not let my soul go to Hades or let my body see corruption. Ah, what is he, he going to say here? He says, therefore, being a prophet, everybody knew David, King David, the psalmist, the shepherd, the king, prophesied. And knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that the fruit of his body according to the flesh... He would raise up Messiah to sit on his throne. Every Jewish family was taught from the time they were little boys and girls, look, here's our beloved David, the man after God's own heart, the shepherd king of Israel. And God promised to David when he wanted to build God a house. And God said, you can't build me a house because you're a man of blood. But I'll let your son Solomon, whose name means peace, I'll let him build it. But David, I love you so much. I love your heart for me. I love your example to me. I love that you worship me and that you follow me and that he danced before the Lord, following the Ark of the Covenant back into Israel. And he said, therefore, I want you to know this. I'm going to build you a house. You can't build me one, but I'm going to build you one. I have chosen you, David, and your family through you. The great Messiah will come through your loins. A prophecy that the Savior, not only of Israel, but the Savior of the world, that through him all the nations of the earth would be blessed, would come through King David. So knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his body, according to the flesh, he would raise up Messiah to sit on his throne. He, foreseeing this, spoke concerning the resurrection of the Messiah, that his soul was not left in Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God has raised up, of which we are all witnesses. Now, everybody come here for just a minute. Do you know that one of the greatest stories that people murmured and talked about and would share with one another is, on many occasions, Jesus raised people from the dead. No prophet had ever done that. But then they hear that the one who raised others from the dead himself died. End of story? No. Now, Peter is telling them the very one that raised others from the dead because of who he is, David in the scriptures prophesied as our shepherd king that God would not allow the body of the Messiah. David wasn't talking about himself. 
His grave's right there. His tomb is there. You and your children can visit it. He's talking about the Messiah and Yeshua. That's what Peter is saying. That sound you've heard, all of these people that are ecstatic and on fire right now have seen him. We have all seen him. He is risen from the dead. He is Lord. He is Christ. He is Messiah. He is King. He rules. He reigns. Therefore, being, and, and so now what he's saying is, therefore being exalted to the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this which you now see and hear. In other words, that explosion, that noise, the sound of the rushing mighty wind that you all Hebrews know that God and Spirit are the same, and you're like, wow, that felt like God. That's the Holy Spirit in fulfillment of the prophecy of Joel. And David said, that's the proof that Jesus is alive. Jesus is sitting at the right hand because of Jesus' resurrection. He could send the Holy Spirit, which you have now all seen with your own eyes, heard with your own ears, and experienced in your hearts right now. That's what I'm talking about. Hallelujah. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he says himself, the Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore, let all of the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Yeshua, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Both Lord and Messiah. He is alive. Real quick, I want to tell you the story. You remember the story of Joseph and his brothers and how Joseph... um, was kind of the favorite, really, of his dad, and he had the coat of many colors, and (laughs) he was favored by his father, and he was greatly beloved by his father, along with his brother Benjamin, but Joseph was like the favored one of, you know, 12 sons. How many of you know that if there's one guy sitting at the breakfast table, and he's bragging about how cool he is, it doesn't go well with the other 11 (laughs) brothers, right? So they're, uh, they're grinding away, and And finally, he gets cast off, and, and the whole story, we won't go through the whole story, but... Joseph goes to Egypt, but God's favor is upon him. And, you know, look, I will say that Joseph, he needed to be, he needed to learn a little humility. Would you agree with that? Because he would sit at the table and say, hey, I had a dream. He goes, all of you, my brothers were in like stars and you all bowed down to me. Is that cool? Is that a great dream or what? (laughs) And then when Jacob's kind of laughing, he goes, hey, dad, you were like the sun and mom, you were like the moon and you bowed down to me too. And hey, hey, wait a second, you know. But then all of a sudden, the whole story of there's a famine in the land. Joseph is raised up, seated at the right hand of Pharaoh. You know, Pharaoh's getting fanned, you know, and taking care of and fed grapes. And Joseph is running the whole world, a Jew, at the right hand of the Gentile king. There's a famine in the land. And finally, the father says, go, go to Egypt. Maybe they'll have compassion. They said, they don't like us Jews. They'll kill us. And he goes, so? We're going to die of starvation here anyway. Go, see what happens. Maybe they'll have compassion. They go there. They meet Joseph. They don't recognize him. He looks like an Egyptian. He's dressed like royalty. He speaks Egyptian. He looks like a Gentile. He hides all of that. He says, who are you? Where are you? What about your, do you have another brother, his little brother? And it goes back and forth and everything else. And finally, he cries. He breaks down and he reveals himself. And he goes, you guys, you knuckleheads. I don't, I think that's the original Hebrew, knuckleheads. (laughs) I'm running the whole world. God gave me an interpretation of a dream. And he told me to store up for the seven fat years that seven lean years were coming. I've got food. You're not going to die. You're not going to starve. You go tell my dad 
Man, God set us up for just this moment in time. And then he loaded them up with gifts. Now, Joseph did not go to see his dad. He stayed in Egypt. He had royal responsibility. But he sent wagons loaded over with gifts. Now, the brothers had told their dad that Joseph had died. An animal got him, and they took his coat and rubbed some animal blood on it. Oh, poor Joseph. And the dad had cried. He thought he was really dead. So when they now had to go back and tell their dad, hey, actually, Joseph is not exactly dead. What do you mean he's not exactly dead? Well, he's actually kind of alive. What do you mean he's kind of alive? Well, we didn't really, he didn't really die of an animal. And anyway, dad, he's actually, you're not going to believe this, he's ruling the world from the superpower of Egypt. He's at the right hand of Pharaoh. He runs the whole thing. And the dad was like, don't tell me that. I will not believe you. You're going to tear my heart out. And then they brought all the wagons loaded with all the gifts. And it says that when Jacob saw the gifts and the gold and the food and all of the wagons overflowing with gifts, his heart revived and he believed that his son was actually not dead, but alive and seated at the right hand of Pharaoh. Do you follow the analogy here? The gifts that the Holy Spirit sends from heaven to the earth, loaded, overflowing, are proof that Jesus is at the right hand of the Father. He runs the whole universe. And he's going to take care of you, and he's going to take care of me. We've got nothing to worry about. And I'll tell you who does. The devil. He's in trouble. He's running out of time. Time is up. God's coming after him. He's checkmating him right now. Amen? Amen. Woo! Man, I'm on fire. Okay, let's go. We've got to wrap it up, though. Peter, you know, he preached a long sermon. Okay, verse um, 30, let's go with verse 34. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he said himself, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made Yeshua, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. And by the way, he didn't lay guilt on them for crucifying Jesus. He said that was all part of the plan of God too. He knew what you would do, but he still loves you and he's still gonna bless you and will forgive you. But man, you guys really blew it. He sent you the Messiah and you crucified him. Man, they're in trouble. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. That's called the conviction of the Holy Spirit. How would you like to be a Jew You are the generation that God from heaven has sent the Messiah, and your generation is guilty of nailing and crucifying and rejecting the Messiah. Would that cut your heart? And so said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? They got it. I mean, they got it right between the eyes. We get it. We're done. (laughs) What, What do we do? And then Peter said to them, repent. There's a way out. There's a way of escape. Repent. Let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You know that that rushing mighty wind, those cloven tongues of fire, those ability to speak in languages, to be filled with joy, so much joy. But it's the Spirit of God. It's not wine. You can have that. For the promise is to you and your children and to all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. So now it's going to spill over from the Jews to the Gentiles to the whole world. And with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, (laughs) which is a way of saying that the author, Luke, is abbreviating the message. 
Can I hear an amen? We're, we're going to wrap it up. Okay. Be saved from this perverse generation. And those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship and in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Those four things we need to continue to do today. Continue teaching through the word. That's where we get, and the doctrine and fellowship and the breaking of bread, which is more than having meals together. It's communion and in prayer together. They met in, and guess where they were meeting? They didn't have a church. Where, where the Holy Spirit came and the outpouring came was on Solomon's porch. Guess what we call this place? Solomon's porch. They met in Solomon's porch. We're at Solomon's porch. And then they met from house to house. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common. And we may come to the day where we need to be able to share and take care of one another. Are you, how many of you are ready to just share? Like, we're in this together. We're a family. Whatever happens, we're in it. We're not going to just hide and hold off and by ourselves and live in fear. We'll take care of one another. And sold their possessions and goods and divided among them all as anyone had need. And so continuing daily. I love this. When we close with these verses, they didn't just meet weekly. They met daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. See, temple, Solomon's porch, and house to house. They ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God, having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. God's desire is that the Holy Spirit might come afresh upon us, that believing, being cut to the heart, that we will share boldly. Look, this is a time where God is going to give us opportunities. With the rest of this year and what's going into 2021, and we're, these, are, these are amazing days. You and I are going to have opportunities to share with family and friends things that they wouldn't listen to or didn't want to hear when things were back the way they were. But now there are people that are saying, is this the end of the world? Is this, does the Bible say anything about this? You don't need to be some prophecy expert. You can just look at the fear and the anxiety and say, how would you like to know him who is, gives you a peace that passes understanding? Yes. That you can have literally an experience of peace within no matter what's happening on the outside, you've got a little bit of heaven that's poured inside of your heart. Amen? Thank you for listening to this podcast from Maranatha Chapel. If you haven't already, please subscribe for weekly messages. Feel free to share this podcast and join us for our weekend services held Saturday evening or Sunday morning. Visit our website at www.maranathachapel.org for more information.